Well, we are finishing up our series called Broken, how, how God uh, uses our, our brokenness. And it's, it's unfortunate that sometimes the church is not a safe place to be broken. Like we feel like we have to put on a facade. And, and so what we've tried to do the last few weeks is be open and be vulnerable in the hopes that, um, that we can just be real with one another and have an authentic uh, community. Um, now, our daughter Bennett is three, and I like to call her our destroyer. Uh, not, not in a malicious way, but like she, she is efficient at destroying anything that's left in her, in her path. And, and don't tell her brothers, but she can even make her brothers cry. It's not uncommon. They'll be downstairs, and all of a sudden one of them gets upset and is crying. It's because she has found their secret stash of candy. You know, candy from like, uh, I don't know, what was last, Easter or Halloween or, or a Lego has been broken or a toy has been broken. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for Bennett to make her mom cry. I got, in fact, I got a picture right here Let me, uh, from this, this week. So outside, notice the surroundings. There is some dark colored liquid. That's the morning coffee that is required for mom to function properly. And next to mom, on the ground, is the broken cup that Bennett, with a wayward throw of a ball, has knocked off into the ground, and it is splattered everywhere. It is not uncommon. It is not uncommon for, uh, for Bennett to almost kill me. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I was, a couple weeks ago, had the weed eater out, and it's electric type, you know, where you, it's not on unless the button's pushed, and I had set it down, and I was doing something, I think I'd, I'd seen a weed my nemesis this time of year, and, uh, was, and all of a sudden, right next to my head, it turns on because Bennett had grabbed the trigger and like almost decapitated me. I mean, I was all right, but I was like, ah, Bennett, Bennett, wait. She is a destroyer. Uh, her best work was about a year ago, she spilled a cup of water. Hey, think of Matthew, don't, don't cry over spilled water, right? Isn't that saying? Milk. Uh, well, it depends on the proximity of where she spilled it on my laptop, which was fried, and if you're like me, like, that's, that's my life, that's my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations were gone, and it was, like, I was like, well, I'm just going to set it aside for a couple of days, put a fan on it, dump it in a bowl of rice. No, don't do that. Uh, nothing. It was dead. Um, fortunately, there's a place over here on the Quebec, you break, I fix. You guys seen that place up there? Well, we broke and they were able to salvage the hard drive, so at least I had some of my memories and hopes and, and dreams. And in a, a house with a toddler, if you have a toddler, you're probably aware of this phenomenon of things being broken. And, and sometimes we'll try to fix it, a little bit of super glue, epoxy is even better, you know, where you mix it together and it comes like concrete. Sometimes we'll set it on the shelf, whatever's broken, in the hopes that it will magically replace itself. Most of the time, things that are broken, we just throw them away, right? I mean, in, in our, we live in a throwaway culture in general where we don't value fixing things or, or making things whole. Again, it just takes too much work, and so it's easier to buy a new one with things that are broken. I don't know if you've ever felt that way yourself, broken or shattered or set on a shelf, tossed aside or thrown away. And usually, 
when something is broken, it decreases in value. Right? The, the value of something doesn't go up when it's broken. It usually decreases in value, whether it's your uh, car if you get in an accident, if it's, um, I mean, what it, whatever it might be. When something is broken, it's, nowadays it's worthless. We throw it, throw it away. And with our current, I like to call it our call-out culture. Like someone makes one mistake and they get called out and then they have to publicly confess all their sins to everybody. Uh, so it's almost like if you make one mistake, if you like the wrong social media post, like you press like and then people are like, oh, you like them, then you must, like we're thrown aside, we are cast out. Um, but not with our Savior. God has a way of redeeming things that are broken in our lives. And even as something as deplorable as the cross. I mean, what do we call the Friday before Easter? Good Friday. I mean, that's a terrible description of the day that Jesus died. But God is in the business of taking something horrible, a device of, of torture that was meant to instill fear and to make something beautiful out of it. That is the way of God and, and the way of the kingdom is, is that when Jesus looks at broken, he sees beautiful. He sees something that is valuable. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now, in Jesus' day, the, the religious system had evolved into something where some people didn't feel welcome at the temple. Can you imagine that? Uh, a system where maybe some people didn't uh, feel welcome at church. Now we don't have that problem ever, right? Um, but certain people, they felt like they weren't good enough to participate. They weren't welcome. And, and the house of God became a place that wasn't safe. A place that wasn't safe. If you didn't measure up, if you didn't meet a certain standard, then you weren't welcome. And it, it wasn't safe to talk about your struggles or deal with your hurts or your failures. And, and Jesus comes along and totally flips that upside down. It's almost like Jesus went after the people who were broken and pursued people that were broken. Uh, I mean, we don't talk about brokenness a whole lot. It's not something when you're, you're updating your resume with your KSAs, your knowledge, skills, and abilities. You know, you're like, I'm a, I have integrity. I'm a team player. I'm broken. Like, that just doesn't fit there. And we don't want it on our tombstone. Here lies Matthew, broken. Like, it is not something that we aspire to, to be, to be broken. And in the Gospel of Luke, uh, this is one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. Um, and in, in chapter 7, Jesus has been invited to the house of Simon. Simon's a, he's a good guy. He's a religious guy. He's a respected member of society. And we're not told in Luke or in any other of the Gospels why Simon invited Jesus. Like maybe he just uh, had heard something about Jesus or he liked to, to be around celebrities. Like Jesus was starting to get a name for himself and he had heard something about Jesus. Or Jesus was the visiting rabbi, so maybe it was his duty to invite Jesus over. We're not told, but he invites Jesus to come to his house. But he's not, he's not really a fan of Jesus. Um, I think he, well, I'm, I'm not sure, because he doesn't, he doesn't greet Jesus. He doesn't give him something to wash his feet with, which was just a basic hospitality when someone came to your house. I mean, imagine if our roads were just dirt roads and they were traveled by animals all day long and you, you walked around in sandals all day. Like, the, what happens to your feet after a while? I think the Greek term is uh, stank. 
in the ancient Greek, that's stanky. I don't know. Uh, but so when he went to someone's house, before you ate, you washed the feet, you got off some of the, the, the dirtiness. Simon didn't offer that to Jesus. And, and to show honor to someone, you would even give them a little bit of oil to refresh themselves, put on their, to put on their head was the custom. Uh, but Simon, there's no greeting, no washing, no oil. And then, so Jesus is there at Simon's house, and then a lady enters and comes up to Jesus, and things get a bit awkward. In Luke chapter 7, verse 37, it says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. It says she lived a sinful life. Other versions just say she was a sinner. Uh, One translation takes a little bit of uh, liberty and calls her the town harlot. This woman who was the town harlot arrived. Now, as we read through the New Testament, it becomes clear pretty quick that we're all sinners. So if you have a passage of Scripture that's describing her as a known sinner, like she must have been something special when it came to the sin category. Like she had uh, a reputation and and we're not quite sure what sinner means, but most, I mean, some scholars in history says that she was likely, uh, or maybe, maybe a prostitute, loose morals, someone you warned your sons to stay away from. Um, but when she gets near to Jesus, I can, I can just imagine all the people that were around and, and they, they knew who this woman was, and they begin to kind of give glances to one another. You know, like, what's, what's, what's she doing? But before they could stop her, she comes to the feet of Jesus where he's reclining and just begins to weep. And, and, you know, there's different types of weeping. There's crying where it just kind of comes down, but then like crying where it begins to fall on the ground. And she's so close to the feet of Jesus that, um, that her tears begin to fall on the feet of Jesus. And his feet were so dirty, I imagine that the, the tears made streaks in the dirt on Jesus' feet. And she realized, like, his feet are dirty. His feet haven't been washed. And she, she gets down and continuing to cry and lets down her hair, which is another social taboo and something you didn't do in the first century, very provocative, and begins to clean the feet of Jesus with her tears and her hair. Like what? I mean, that, this was all kinds of, uh, all kinds of wrong in this, in this culture. And, and normally she would have avoided situations like this and um and maybe and again we're not told how what she knows about jesus like had she just seen him do some miracles had she seen him interact with some other people who were broken we're not told but she knew what i want you to know that as broken as she was jesus could make her whole as broken as she was jesus could make her whole. And Jesus could take the broken pieces of her life and it didn't matter what she had done or who she had done it with, but that Jesus could make her whole. And I mean, how did she even get into Simon's house? Like this respectable member of the community, he's part of the religious group, the Pharisees. How did this woman of ill reproach get in? And, and this is just something kind of based on customs, that whenever you had a banquet, if you were well-to-do, well you would let people in besides just the invited guest. But they weren't welcome at the table. They had to sit kind of on the, on the sides. And 
Um, because taking care of the poor was a sign of someone who was right with God. And Simon, he thought he was pretty good with God. He thought he was pretty right. And, and I can almost imagine like the, the, the poor and the outcast and the broken being there for Simon was a badge of honor. Like, here I am, I'm doing pretty good. I've even got, you know, the poor people around me. I mean, they're, they can't come to the table, but they can, they can watch over there. And Simon even says in verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. So she wouldn't have been invited to the table. She didn't meet standards. It was not a safe place for her, and she would have avoided a place like this at all costs. It had not been for Jesus. If there was not something about Jesus that she wanted, and um, so she she pushes past the fear and the stares and the snide remarks, and begins to weep at the feet of Jesus. And it's this is just all kinds of provocative. I mean, it's a very intimate thing. I mean, think about if someone were to wash your feet. Like, can you list on one hand the number of people you'd allow to wash your feet? Because there's just something. Something about that, and everything about her actions are offensive. But Jesus, I love Jesus. I hope you love Jesus. Uh, Jesus wasn't concerned. Jesus was always about overcoming the social norms and, and doing things that were kind of against the grain. And if you read just this entire chapter, it starts with him overcoming some, some racial barriers and then some economic barriers, some religious barriers is the next story. And now some moral barriers, things that would normally keep people separated, us versus them. Jesus was not concerned about that. And so here comes this woman. And only one thing could have brought her to that place. Desperation. Like being desperate. She was so gripped with her brokenness and urgency. She was oblivious to onlookers. She didn't care. And she wasn't a- even able to speak. But it didn't matter because Jesus knew her heart. And so she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair and she's broken and she pours out her life. And it's completely inappropriate. And it's reckless. And it's impulsive. And Jesus says, it's beautiful. Jesus says, it's beautiful. And um, the religious folks who were there, they were not impressed. In fact, uh, I mean, have you ever been put off by the way someone has worshipped Jesus? Like, maybe they just, like, why are they so emotional? Like, why are they so expressive in their worship? And maybe it's off-put us a little bit, folks who have it all together. Like, what's, what's wrong with this, this person? And Jesus knows what everyone is thinking in the story, which is ironic because Simon was like, isn't this guy a prophet? He would know who this woman is. And then Jesus reads his mind. I don't know if he ever picked up on that, but that's what happened. And so Jesus, knowing what they're thinking about this woman and like how can Jesus be touching her and letting her touch him and this perfume, I forgot about, she put, rubbed the, or poured the perfume on him and on his feet. And, um, and so Jesus tells a, a story and he says there was, there was two people and they were both in, in some bad debt to a creditor. And one owed the, the creditor 50 denarii. And one owed the creditor 500. How much is a denarii worth? Doesn't matter. Not that important. But it's about a, a day's, day's wages. But what is important is that the one owed, uh, what's my math there? 10 times more than the other one. So one owed 50, 
One owed 500. Neither one of them could pay. Neither one of them could pay the debt. So the, cre- the creditor forgives the debt. It'd be nice if we had some creditors like that today, right? Just forgave. Can I get a witness? You know what I'm talking about? All right. I thought I'd get some amens on that. Uh, the creditor forgives both their debts, and Jesus said, which one of them will love more? And Simon says in verse 43, I suppose, I love that suppose, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Just take, take a look, take a close look. Do you really see her? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as a great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Wait, where was the sinner's prayer? Wait, she didn't have the sinner. You know what I'm talking about? Repeat after me. She didn't say anything. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And Jesus rebukes Simon and accepts the woman. He rebukes Simon, the religious guy, the spiritual guy who's got it all together, but he accepts the woman. And, and Simon has not even observed just the normal courtesies extended to a guest. And Jesus compares the two back and, and forth, and, and he says, you didn't give me water for my feet? Her tears have become the water for my feet. You didn't kiss me? She has repeatedly kissed my feet. You didn't give me oil for my head? She has poured this fragrant perfume on me. And the woman did what Simon had failed to do and just extend the basic standard hospitality. And Simon's problem was that he sensed no need for forgiveness and repentance. He thought he was pretty good. Like, I'm a pretty good guy. Like, I, uh, I give a tenth of all I've, I've got. I, uh, I'm at the temple every Sabbath. I, you know, I take care of the poor. Just look around. Like, I, I care for the poor. They're right here amongst us. He wasn't immoral. In fact, he wouldn't have anything to do with anyone he thought was immoral. He was so pure. He was so righteous. The result was that he believed he wasn't broken and had death had done nothing that needed forgiving, right? He was, he's good. I'm good. I'm good. So who would you rather be? I'm not asking, like, who are you most like, but who would you rather be? Like, well-respected, people think things about you, maybe they're true or not, but they think good things about you. Um, you, you, you know, you keep on the, the smile, or, or re, re, would you rather be the woman, the, the prostitute in the story? She experiences the love and forgiveness of Jesus in a, a deep way, and I think for most of us, we want both. Like we want to be respected. Like we want people to, to think well of us and we keep our problems behind closed doors. We want to be that person. But we also want to experience the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Like we want both. And, and Jesus, Jesus, it doesn't work that way. 
If you want to be made whole, you've got to be broken. And one pastor put it this way. He said, there is no way to wholeness, wholeness except through the door marked broken. There is no way to wholeness except through the door marked broken. Uh, now, here's the good news. In case you didn't know it, we're all broken. We've all got issues. And if you think you, you're not broken, you are the most broke. Is that correct English? I don't even know. You broken. I don't, that's definitely not correct English. Uh, and we see this with story. It, in the story, Simon had all kinds of issues, but he couldn't see it. He, he was sitting there thinking, oh, this woman, she ought to be embarrassed of herself. Simon should have been embarrassed for himself. Of anyone who should have recognized the Messiah, it was this one, this uh, religious guy, Pharisee. And, you know, just history tells us that to, to be a Pharisee, most likely, and not even a Pharisee, but most of the young boys at this age would have memorized quite a bit of the Hebrew Scriptures. And maybe even have books of the Hebrew Scriptures memorized because they didn't have a printing press. Right? And so they, it was an oral tradition. He would have known the prophecies of the Messiah, over a hundred of them, and here's the Messiah in front of him and doesn't treat him with honor, doesn't recognize him, doesn't, doesn't see him. Uh, and the, the less broken, the less you see your brokenness, the more broken you are. And so, and my goal really is not that we would all say that we're broken, my goal in this sermon is, is just to stop pretending like we're not. Stop pretending like we're not. Uh, Brene Brown, she's a research professor at the University of Houston, and she's a social worker, and she studies, she's committed her life to studying, uh, to studying things like vulnerability and shame and courage. And she has a, a TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability. It's got like 40 million views. You can check it out. It's about 20 minutes and she talks about how we all deep down, we know we're broken, and we want a relationship in which we can share our brokenness. But we, we have a hard time getting from one to the other, and, and she's written a book called I Thought It Was Just Me, and she says we are those people. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness. One sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, one affair from being those people. The ones we don't trust, the ones that we pity, the ones we won't let our kids play with, the ones that the bad things happen to, the ones we don't want living next door. We are those people. You are them. It's like, look around. Everyone in here is broken. We are those people. We are the people who ignore the hurts of others. Sometimes, don't we? We are those people. We are the people who yell at each other on the way to church and get to church and put on a smile like nothing happened. Elora and I don't have that problem. We drive separate cars. Just because I come earlier to set up. All right. Uh, we are those people. We are the people who have gone into debt to keep up appearances. We are those people. We are the people who look down on those who vote differently than we do. Mm -hmm. We are those people. We are the people who work in excess of 50 and 60 hours a week trying to prove our worth. We are those people. We are the people who take the easy way out and log on to the porn site 
We are, I am, those people. We are the people who have holes punched in our closet doors because we can't control our anger. We are those people. We are the people who spend hours on social media trying to portray a life that is better than what it really is. We are those people. We are broken. And there is no one here who is more worthy or deserving of God's grace than anyone else. And the good news is that God makes the broken whole through Jesus Christ. And Isaiah was a prophet many years before Jesus. There's an entire uh, book in the Old Testament called Isaiah, and it talks his life and his, some of his prophecies. But Isaiah 53 is one of the greatest messianic uh, prophecies that we have in, in the Bible. And by messianic prophecies, I just mean there was a hope of a coming Messiah. And sometimes the prophets would uh, get just a glimpse of, of what that Messiah was going to be like. And Isaiah 53 is one of those that says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was broken for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are made whole through Jesus because he was broken. And not only are we made whole, I believe there's actually beauty to be found in our brokenness. And that, that may sound crazy, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit. You might be wondering, how can there be any beauty in what I'm experiencing? How can there be any beauty in what I've experienced? The reason brokenness is beautiful is because of how God can use it in our lives. How God can use it in our lives. I think first, brokenness can draw us near to him. Now let me be very clear. I'm not saying the things that cause the brokenness are beautiful, like in and of themselves. It's, it's not lovely. Um, the beauty is in where brokenness can bring us where brokenness can lead us. If we allow it, the brokenness of the woman caused her to surrender to the Lord completely. She fell at his feet, weeping so broken that the tears were flowing from her eyes. And, and looking back at Scripture, very few times did anyone display that type of love and devotion to Jesus. His disciples didn't do that. But here is this woman who's been broken, and uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. There's only one way to come to Jesus. It's completely in humility, broken before him. It, now, there is no guarantee that our brokenness will bring us to Jesus. Like our brokenness could cause us to reject God. Like we could turn our back and, and go a different direction, but there is the opportunity there for our brokenness to bring us to our Savior. And that brings us to the, the second beauty in brokenness is that brokenness allows us to experience God's grace it was her brokenness that allowed her to experience God's grace. And I wonder, if she had not been broken, would she have had an encounter with Jesus like she had if she had not been broken? Would she have known that God's grace to the depths that she did? Would she have responded with such an outpouring of love? The one who has been forgiven much loves much. Now, you might be wondering why we've got this art displayed uh, around that we don't normally have these these pieces of art displayed, uh, but we have some talented artists among us, and Addie is one of them. And these are pieces of art that were created by Addie. And so I'm going to have her come on up, Addie, and just we're going to talk about her art uh, for a moment. Yeah, we're good. 
And in the story of these, these paintings is, is one of being broken and deconstructed, but then of also being reconstructed and redeemed. Um, so can you tell us, like, what style is this? So uh, Hold it right up close. Okay. Um, so this is the deconstructed impressionism. So I'm not much of a, an art person. <laughs> I mean, is that, uh, is that a new style? Is that a um, it's something I made up. <laughs> right on. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, so impressionism is uh, your impression of an experience, whether it's emotional or physical, like Van Gogh did impressionism. Um, and, and then the deconstructed part is basically taking it apart. Gotcha. And how many... Uh, how many works have you created? Uh, I have 15 total. Gotcha. And this was, uh, like, how long did that process take? Uh, it, I actually worked on it for a year and a half um, gotcha. total. So. so you, I've seen some of your your work, but tell us, like, the process just a little bit about, like, how how you get to this point. And I think we have a picture. Andy, wants. So I start with a painting. Um, uh over the year and a half, I came to church and took notes. And um, whenever something moved me or, you know, I felt like there was something God was speaking to me about, um, about a particular topic, I would um, kind of break that and paint, paint it out, so to speak. Um, and so that's kind of what the impression and the emotion and the colors all come from that, that idea. Um, and then, so that's kind of... I don't know how much I should say about it, but um, that's kind of the, the, my perception of, of what God's telling me. Um, and, then, and then I have to cut up all the pieces and um, into squares and then kind of have a white background and create a grid and then kind of randomly and improvisationally uh, put all the squares together um, to form a new picture. So what's, what's the, uh, like the heart behind cutting it up and putting it back together? So it has to do with um, what we think of ourselves, what we think of our story. A lot of the pieces um, have to do with dark and light and kind of what's gone on in our past and how we view our story. So like that painting up there is, it's my perception of my story, of my life. For, or, or even that, you know, this one in specific, should I say yeah, the name? So it's called Turmoil and Humility. And um, so it's my perception of um, humility and what I think, you know, the good and the bad and the hard and the easy it's kind of all in there, but then um, then you have to cut it up and put it back together, and that's sort of the process of um, uh, like cutting cutting it up is the deconstructed process, and putting it back together is kind of that redemption and, and how God sees it and what His picture actually is. So each of the squares is sort of like a moment in your life where it's now reframed because it's separated from all the other pieces. And so each of those, like there may be a dark spot or something that's like a memory of something 
bad that happened in your life or, or something, you know, a situation, and then it becomes reframed and makes up a different picture of how God sees you and how God sees your story, and, um, and it's more beautiful. I mean, that's up to you to decide, but, <laughs> um, but so I think. Yeah, and I think you were telling me, like, when you're, this was the, the first one you did. Yes, this was the first painting I did, um, and it was the last one that I could cut up. And it's funny because it was, it's about pride, and, and for me, this was like my you favorite. Like, you didn't want to cut it up. No, I mean, it was kind the, of. yeah. I actually had an inner struggle, like, man, I really like how this one looks. <laughs> I don't, don't want to cut it up. But, but there, is, um, there is something about even the people who think they have it all together, the people who think they, um, you know, they're good enough and, it, you know, I've got this great life. Like, it's about obedience. And for me, it was about discipline. Like, this is what I set out to do. Like, I have to trust that like God's view of how it comes together is going to be better than even what was there in the first place. And, and you said, uh, I mean, just in our, some of our conversation that the picture before doesn't matter so much as what it turns out. So this is uh, what the original was, and, and then this is the, yeah. the finished product here behind, behind me. Yeah, and I, and I don't have that original to sell. Like if I wanted to, that's that's not what it is. That's not what it's about. Um, I have pictures of them, you know, to tell the story from before and after. But um, and that's that's a really interesting thing in in the art world to to destroy a piece, so to speak. Um, it's no longer there. The value isn't there. And I took something valuable and I cut it up and made something different. And uh, that's kind of the that's the story. So for me, that's the transformative uh, story of the gospel. And that's part of the, the whole process that I wanted to explore um, with, with this collection is um, the, it's almost like the process of me going through each of the stages, painting it, all the emotion that go, and time and everything that goes into that, and then the time and very detailed dedication to be so exacting to cut it up and then put it all back together. I mean, it, the process itself is like the process of the gospel and how you daily, you know, you experience your life and then daily cut it up and, and through grace you're able to see God's view of you. And day by day you see that more and more. Um, and then you, that's where you can start to see and appreciate your brokenness and how... God use that in your life to do, you know, show you more of his character. Yeah, that's good. Well, thanks, Eddie. I really appreciate it. Oh, Eddie's art, like, just shows how there's beauty and things that have been broken and how God is taking those pieces and putting them uh, back together. Um, so when we talk about beauty and brokenness, it, brokenness can draw us to God. It can help us to experience God's grace. And I also believe that our brokenness can demonstrate the character and glory of God. This one's a bit heavier, just a, a bit deeper. But after the woman's interaction with Jesus and Jesus forgiving her, everyone 
that was there was no longer thinking about the woman. They were thinking about Jesus. The last verse, the last verse of verse 49, they were saying, who is this man? Who is this who even, who forgives, even forgives sins? And her encounter with Jesus, as broken as she was, demonstrated the character of Jesus. Who is this man? The woman knew. Uh, and it's the same question I want you to consider today. Who is this Jesus? Who is this one who forgives sins, who can take brokenness, who can take my brokenness and make something beautiful of it? And God's power is on display when we trust him in the midst of our brokenness. God's power is on display. And when we, we follow Jesus in spite of our brokenness, we demonstrate more clearly to those watching and to ourselves that Jesus is, in fact, our Savior. Like, it's a reminder that he's just not a trend or a fad. Uh, a couple years ago, I think it was like 2015, my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer. He was pastoring a church at the time. Had to do chemo, had surgery, the whole, whole deal. And I remember, uh, well, one, he never missed a Sunday. That's crazy. Uh, but I remember having conversations with him while he was in the cancer. And he's like, Matthew, I've just determined that I'm going to show the people in the church what it looks like to go through something like this, but trusting Jesus the whole way. Right when he finished up his cancer treatments, I mean, not two months later, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, had uh, surgery, had full chemo, lost, lost the hair. Um, they're here most Sundays. They're, my dad's retired, but he's preaching this weekend, so they're not here this weekend. Uh, but you probably wouldn't know my mom is still getting chemo every couple weeks just to see her on Sundays. I mean, she's slowing, slowed her down quite a bit, and it's, now it's, man, it's been a, it's been a process. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I went with the, to the doctor with her just because sometimes my parents come back from the doctor's office and they don't give us very clear answers on my sister and, and me. Like, oh, everything's good. Like, is it really? Like, is that what the doctor's saying? And, uh, and then they both argue about what the doctor said, you know. <laughs> um, and so, so I went to the doctor because she was getting a report. She had had an MRI done just to get like a current update on her status. And at the end of the, the appointment, there in the, in, the, in the doctor's room, my mom asked the doctor, she's like, can, can we pray for you? And uh, what is wrong with me? Um, and so my mom, in the, in the middle of her brokenness, we gathered hands with the doctor. Just prayed for the doctor. There was beauty in brokenness. Like the cancer is not beautiful by any means, but the way my mom is going through it, the way my dad went through it is a, a testament to the character and glory of our God and our Savior. There is beauty to be found in brokenness. And Simon was worried about if Jesus was a prophet or not, but if Jesus can forgive sins, then he's much more than a prophet. He's our healer, the one who repairs, the one who can fit the broken pieces back together, the one who makes all things beautiful, especially the broken. And so my encouragement for us today is will you take your brokenness to Jesus? Will you take your brokenness to Jesus?